All right, he has risen. That's incredible. You guys just practiced that all morning. You did an awesome job. Well done. Yeah, this is just so exciting. It's Easter, and uh, I want to talk about the resurrected Jesus. Uh, I want to talk about what happened, but uh, I'm actually more interested in why that's relevant for you today, uh, because it's uh, a big deal that Jesus rose from the dead, overcame death, and fulfilled many of the things that were prophesied about him, but particularly what Jesus said himself. Uh, take this statement, for instance, out of John 16. Jesus says, it's best for you, and obviously in context, talking to his disciples, but it certainly applies to us. It's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the Advocate, meaning the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. What Jesus was saying was this. When he was physically present, he was limited. He was fully human. But he was promising a lot of things with his death and resurrection. One of which was he was going to overcome death, not only for himself, but also for all of those like us that believe in him. But more than that, he was saying, I'm going to be sending and giving you my Holy Spirit who can be with all of you all the time, as opposed to just Jesus and his posse of disciples. So I want to look at some of the personalness of God, how God is personal in our own lives. Sometimes we don't even realize that God is personal in our own lives. You know, I grew up in high school as a really good pagan. I didn't go to church. I didn't have any interest in church. I didn't know anything about Jesus. But uh, I loved surfing. And one day I was out of my league. I, I was surfing in surf that was huge. And the currents were pretty ferocious. And I got sort of in the dishwasher of a wave, and I was drowning. Uh, and I didn't know where was up and where was down, but I was out of breath. I was completely exhausted. I was dead. I mean, I, I was literally sucking in water. And somehow or other, I cried out, God, save me. Now, all of a sudden, as a good pagan, I'm like praying, right? I mean, in total desperation, God, save me. And in that very instant, I realized that I was swimming in the wrong direction. I was swimming it down, and I hit the sand. I turned around, I pushed off, and I came up, and I was spluttering, and, and I'm like, that was kind of crazy. And I, again, being a good pagan, I just like probably went to the beach and recuperated and kind of forgot about it. Until like 10, 12 years later, when I asked Jesus into my life, and, and God becomes personal to me, I kind of have this flashback. I'm like, wait a bit. I remember that incident. I think God sort of brought it to memory to say, you know, I've really been with you all the time, uh, and I am with you. There's a psalm that says this, In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. God just became personal. God had answered my cry even as a complete non-believer. More recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, <laughs> I had a, a sort of an embarrassing uh, experience. Uh, I was looking at my stomach, and uh, I saw two scars on my stomach. 
and uh, I kind of felt the Lord remind me of something. Uh, I was chainsawing some trees in my yard, and uh, you know, it just is this way with chainsaws and trees. They never seem to fall exactly where you anticipate them. And so anyway, this particular branch swung around, and, uh, and the chainsaw, still operating, was still going, and it went right through my outerwear, right through my shirt, ripped it apart, and barely touched my stomach. I mean, it like, so, you know, a few weeks ago, I'm looking at my stomach, I'm looking at those faint lines, I mean, they're super faint. And again, I just sense the Lord. I'm protecting you. I was with you. I mean, I don't even know if I acknowledged the Lord at that particular point. And again, the scripture just came up. Keep me safe, O Lord, for I come to you for my refuge. God is personal. And I was just like, God, you have protected me. You have saved me in times of trouble. You have protected me. Uh, You are a personal God. But nothing like when we experience God with finances. I mean, I don't know why it is, but you know, we deal with insecurity. And uh, I, when I became a believer, I, there were certain Old Testament promises that I really resonated with. One was that God said, wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. And I just had that sense that God was going to bless me. I just felt like, God, if I love you, and if I'm obedient to you, you are going to bless me. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I didn't feel a sense of arrogance about it. I just had a a, a kind of confidence about it. I I can't really explain it. I remember working for, uh, you know, corporate America before being in full-time ministry and a a financial guy. And the first year the financial statements came out, I thought, we didn't make a lot of profit in this company. And I kept thinking, I, I started praying. I'm like, God, but I thought you're going to bless me. And if you're going to bless me, you're going to bless this company. Like, make it happen. You know, I was like, it was just an expectation in me. It's like, if I'm here, I'm going to be blessed. And the company's going to be blessed. Well, I, I don't know that it necessarily was all that blessed. But there was just this uh, weird kind of confidence that I had uh, in that. Now, when I decided to go into ministry... Uh, I put in resignation with the, with the president of the company. I said, look, I want to go into ministry and I need to do this part-time. And uh, my boss surprised me in a way which I never saw it coming. After I told him I was going to go into ministry and after he said he would allow it and allow me to work part-time in a position which I'm dialoguing with him, I said, I wouldn't allow somebody to work as the CFO as a part-time position. Why are you allowing me to do this? And he just says, well, you know, I want to bless you. Or you're a blessing to the company. And I'm like, wow, so you're going to allow me to work part-time? But here's the thing. Bonuses came after I moved to part-time position, and I end up getting this huge bonus. I mean, it was enough for me to then buy a house, the house I still live in. It was enough money for me to put down the deposit and not have to pay any uh, insurance for, you know, not PMI, not having uh, enough coverage. And I just thought, God, I am just like unbelievably blessed. I mean, this is a large amount of money that came out of nowhere that I totally did not deserve. I, I, just Deuteronomy, wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. And then six months later, uh, uh, I'd been working part-time for the company, and uh, our church was starting to grow, and and it just needed more time, so I said I wanted to go full-time. 
And uh, it was kind of a scary thought because where was I going to get the money to do this full time? We're only a handful of people. And uh, anyway, I resigned and the boss said to me, well, that's great. Uh, bless you. And the funny thing is he was not a believer and he thought what I was doing was just totally crazy. And so for the first year, I'm thinking, okay, so how am I going to actually make ends meet? I mean, like as a church, you know, we're an independent church, we're part of the Vineyard Movement nationally, but there's no money. We don't get money from national, there's no funding, there's no secret source of revenue. It was just like, this is what I felt like God wanted us to do. And so my boss comes up with this crazy idea. He says, Rob, I want to hire you as a consultant. I'm like, consultant to do what? He said, I want to make sure that when you're gone, I can access you. Uh, If I need to call you, I can call you and it won't be inconvenient. I said, listen, you've been an incredible boss to me. You can call me anytime. I mean, if you need me to come in for a week and work something, I'll do it gladly. You don't owe me a dime. He said, absolutely not. I will not have that arrangement. And so he ended up paying me like a retainer for a whole year. Towards the end of the year, I said to him, I said, listen, every month I've been getting a check from you. You haven't phoned me once. Like, can I just check in? Is everything good? Oh, this has been a great re- arrangement. This is my boss. Says, this has been a great arrangement. I'm thinking, yeah, it has. So, I mean, <laughs> getting paid for doing nothing. It's a fantastic arrangement. And I was like, thank you so much. Uh, that's how we got going. I just felt like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.19. God says this, God who takes care of me, the Apostle Paul, and God who takes care of me, Rob, God will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I mean, how about you? Have you experienced the personalness of God? Have you ever experienced God protecting you? Or have you ever experienced God supernaturally providing for you financially? Uh, or have you ever called out to God for help and God has helped you? I mean, God is just a personal God. You know, we all deal with discouragement. All of us get discouraged at some point or another. Uh, I was discouraged, actually, at one stage in this church. uh, We were battling to find a place to meet. Uh, I had looked everywhere in Hopkinson and couldn't find anything. Uh, I remember actually having spoken to the owner of this building to lease it, and he wanted like 12 bucks a square foot, and at that point the roof was leaking, the carpets were like stinky, you couldn't even walk in the front door without a, a, a mask, this place was disgusting. And I'm like, 12 bucks a square foot? You've got to be kidding me, that's like, that's like $120,000 a year. It's like, no, we can't afford that as a church. And I remember driving to the bottom of South Street at the traffic lights, and I'm like, God, I... I just, I, I'm exhausted, I'm discouraged, I, I don't know what to do. And I had a youth pastor, and he noticed that I was feeling exhausted and discouraged. So he said, you know, my parents have a house down in South Carolina. Why don't you take two weeks off and just go down there and rest? And I said, great idea. So we did. And when I was down there, you know, I'm just praying. I'm like, God, just, you know, whatever, just help us out. And Well, I get a call from my youth pastor. He said, you know, there's a building on South Street. And I'm like, yeah, I know the one. He said, I just spoke to the landlord. I'm like, yeah, uh, we can't afford 12 bucks a square foot. He said, no, the guy said he'll rent it to us for 8 bucks a square foot. I said, 8 bucks a square foot? No, that's different. We can, we can make that happen. 
Like, how did that happen? Again, when we are discouraged, God encourages us. And sometimes it's like we do nothing. I mean, I'm sitting on vacation praying and resting. I'm not doing a whole lot in sin. I'd, I'd looked everywhere in Hopkinton. I couldn't find anything. Isaiah 41 says this, 41.10, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. How about you? Have you ever experienced discouragement, but in the same tone, God, as a personal God, has encouraged you that God has done something in your life that you couldn't do yourself? God has encouraged you. Uh, maybe God has healed you, or God has given you hope in some way that you didn't have hope before. God is personal when we have troubles. Psalm 34, 19 says this, The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Look, if you become a Christian, or if you are a Christian, you will know pretty quickly that life is not like, okay, just floating on air, everything goes perfectly, there's no issues, everything's solved, your financial problems are solved, your relational problems are solved, your kids' problems are solved just because you're a believer. No, God is saying the exact opposite. If you become a righteous person, you can guarantee one thing, you will have troubles. That is a promise. And if you stand up for righteousness, if you start talking about the Lord, if you start encouraging people in their walk in faith, and you will face troubles. But there's a promise from the Lord. The Lord says that He will rescue us each time. And that's been my experience. God has rescued me despite myself again and again and again. Because the resurrected Jesus is personal. We can talk to Him. We can experience Him. We can expect God to move in our lives. How about you? Have you ever been in trouble and done something that's really good and picked up resistance and seen God bail you out or help you through it or give you the energy, give you the strength, give you the words to say? You know, as uh, Sarah was uh, saying in the announcements, we've got the upcoming series starting next week where we want to look at how the Holy Spirit gets involved in our lives and helps us to overcome the struggles that we face. And uh, this is one of the greatest joys of the resurrected Jesus, that we now have access to the advocate, someone who can help us. Let us look at the great story in the Bible of Jesus' resurrection. Let me just pray. God, I just pray that you would empower what I'm saying. Jesus, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work through me. Lord, that we could experience you, each one here today, your love, your goodness, and your personalness, because you were resurrected, Jesus, from the dead. In your name, Jesus, amen. I'm going to read uh, the gospel account from the, the gospel of Matthew. And uh, I want you to notice as I'm reading here all the supernatural events that take place around the resurrection of Jesus. Now, obviously, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus rising from the dead, being stuck in a tomb for three days, 
I mean, he, he, Jesus was dead. He wasn't just like injured. He was like dead, dead, like nailed on a cross dead, with a spear stuck in his side dead, like put in a tomb to rot for a few days dead. I mean, he was dead, dead. Not just having a little minor fainting issue. He was dead. And he rose from the dead. I mean, an incredible, impossible miracle that the story is focused around. But there's so many other miracles around the story. If you're following along in a hard copy or on your phone, you might want to circle or highlight a few of the miracles that go along here. Matthew 27. Verse 62. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember when that deceiver, meaning Jesus, once said when he was still alive, After three days I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. Because if that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Uh, Chapter 28, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. Okay, not every earthquake is, not every earthquake is miraculous, but this one was because of the timing and because of what was happening. And then an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Okay, that's sort of like an experience. Maybe angels are coming down currently, but you know, I'm not seeing them. Maybe you're seeing them occasionally. Uh, but we don't typically see angels. I mean, it's not like it's never been done. It, people do occasionally, but it's not normal. But an angel came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Now, wait a bit. Just process that for a moment. Like, what is your idea of an angel? Is it like Casper, the ghost, you know, like just moving? Like, no, this, this is really interesting. This is like an angel that actually can move stones and then kind of looks like a human because he's sitting on a stone. Verse 3, his face shone like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. In other words... The angel was something mysterious. I mean, it was clearly a physical being that could be seen, but this angel had power, strength to do and move things. And then the gods see this angel, and they shook with fear when they saw him. I mean, this is just so intriguing to me. I mean, think of it, these big burly Roman gods, you know, probably armed with whatever... Uh, equipment they need for their time. They've got the Roman you know, authority behind them. Nobody's going to mess with a god. I mean, these guys just had all the power, all the authority. And he sees this angel and he's shook with fear. I'm like, wait a bit. There's something else going on here. And he knew it. And when he saw the angel, he fell into a dead 
faint. I mean, gods don't like faint when they see people. I mean, you know, it's, but something was happening. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Oh, okay, now the angel's actually talking, the angel's visible. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The woman ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. I mean, there are just like all these, you know, supernatural things happening uh, at the same time. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Very interesting. Uh, the very people who had hung around with Jesus doubted. Uh, that, that leaves a lot of room for you and I, you know, when we have doubts, when we are like, okay, how does this all work together? How do we get answers to every question? And honestly, you will not get an answer to every question, but you will get sufficient answers to be able to believe. But let me just back up for a second. Look at the impossible events that took place in this little reading. Jesus rose from the dead after three days. The angel moved the stone. The angel sits on a stone and becomes visible. The gods shake with fear. The gods faint. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And uh, Mary grabs onto Jesus' feet, who just appeared from nowhere. I mean, there's just a lot of things happening here. And, of course, the natural uh, instinct is to say, I don't believe all that. Well, my natural instinct is to say, I do believe all of that. And not only do I believe it, I find it hugely inspiring, and I find it really applicable to my own life, because Jesus is in the business of doing the impossible. When we have faith in the Lord, what we desire and what we expect is that God is going to move in our lives in impossible ways, because we can take care of the normal pretty easily. I mean, you know, if you need somebody smarter than you, you can find somebody smarter than you. If you need somebody faster than you, there's somebody who can do it faster than you. But to have somebody who can do impossible things for you, that only God can do. And that is what is so encouraging with the resurrected Jesus. We have a hope. We have a reorientated view of life. We're not doing it alone. And all of a sudden, life now has purpose, and we don't have the answers to all the questions. Fortunately, there is a sense of mystery. But this uh, Easter, I want to uh, respond to the personal interest that God has in me and the personal interest that God has in you. Jesus changed the story of our lives when we believe in him. But Jesus changes the story of death. Uh, you know, the, 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 
the sort of the regular narrative of life would be like this. You're born, uh, you start as a kid, uh, you go through teenage years, you have a lot of energy, you go through your 20s, you get smart, uh, you have kids, and then you have a great career, and then life just sort of goes downhill, and you die. Starts with life, and you're dead. You know, G uh, very exciting. Uh, Jesus' as narration, he, he switches it all around. He says, no, 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 no. Life starts with death. If you're not a believer, no. It starts with life and it ends in death. But as a believer, life starts with death. And our first promise that Jesus has given us as he's resurrected is we will have eternal life in him. So when we die, it actually all starts. We have, it starts with death and moves on into eternity. But it's actually not a waiting game for us to just wait till we die. There's a mystery which is super fantastic. And that is, Jesus' death then is applicable to our lives today. Meaning this, when we ask Jesus into our lives, we are dealing with that death in the present. And Jesus puts to death, if we will allow his spirit to work within us, our old nature, and he gives us new life that we can start experiencing this eternity presently. God gives us hope, he gives us joy, he gives us a sense of purpose, and he starts working with the things that God would call sin, all the things that separate us from him, the things where we are just doing things that are unpleasant to the Lord. And God says, I'm going to deal with that, I'm going to put it to death, and I'm going to give you a new nature, I'm going to give you hope, I'm going to give you expectation and joy and peace, and you're going to start experiencing that now because of Jesus' resurrection. So death becomes not only a future event, but an event that we can apply Jesus' death and resurrection currently and start experiencing that. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 43.1, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God is saying, Jesus is saying, you are not just a, a sea of people. He knows your name. He knows my name. He is personal. He wants to have us involved in what he's doing, and he desires us to make him Lord of our lives. Let him direct the traffic. Show us which way to go. Uh, inspire us. Show us what we should be doing and how we should be blessing others. Receive Jesus. Receive him. Ask him into your life. But the other way that we can respond to the personal interest God has in us is that we doubt, but God overcomes our doubt. You know, the interesting thing with the disciples, they'd hung out with Jesus, they'd heard what Jesus was going to do, uh, Jesus does what he said he was going to do, then Jesus does the you know, ridiculously impossible thing, he dies and is resurrected and shows up before the disciples, and the disciples in verse 17 said, some doubted. Okay, like, you and I are not going to have that same privilege. We're not going to hang out with Jesus. We're not going to hear what he said. We're not going to watch him do all these things and then, like, doubt him. But it's encouraging for us because if they doubted, there's room for us to doubt. And yet, even in our doubts, uh, God is going to come through like he did for those disciples. God is personal. He said to Thomas, 
put your finger in my wounds so that you can experience God's personalness. If we say to God, look, I'm doubting, I, I, I don't understand, can you reveal yourself to me? Can you show me that you exist? I guarantee you that's a prayer God will answer. The problem that we have is we can't do it again and again and again and again because then that's uh, moving you know, uh, into non-faith. But I want to end this way. Uh, Mary Magdalene, she is very much a role model for us because Mary's kind of like an average person. You read through the gospel. She's not a disciple. But God did something personal in her life. Uh, and Mary experienced Jesus and saw the power of God do something personal in her life. And Mary did something that we should all take note of, and we should all do likewise. Mary was greatly thankful to the Lord. Mary Magdalene didn't know, like, you know, what to do. God didn't say, look, uh, this is your career path, Mary, you need to be a disciple. No, Mary simply showed up. Now, this is actually a very, very, very big deal. Mary Magdalene showed up at Jesus' crucifixion, and Mary Magdalene shows up here on Easter Sunday, and she doesn't know what she's going to do, but she just shows up. Why did she show up? Because she's experienced the personalness of Jesus in her life, and she wants to thank God. She just wants to be thankful. She wants to serve Him. And in this particular case, kind of awkward, she wants to, like, you know, bomb Him with spices for His dead body, you know, but in showing up, she grows in leaps and bounds like you and I do. When we show up in the presence of God, when we show up for the things that God is calling us to do, we learn more and more about God, and we experience God, and God then works through our lives in amazing ways. I mean, God shows up to Mary Magdalene. He's, she's the first person he appears to. It's just, it just crazy. I mean, women had no stature. Women weren't going to be representatives of the risen Jesus. I mean, Jesus just does things in ways that we cannot fathom. But the love that God has for you and for me, and the plans that God has for your life and for my life are incredible. The more that we allow God into our lives, the more that we can deal with the fears and the concerns that we have for our lives, and the more we can say, Jesus you resurrected, you overcame death, you sent your Holy Spirit, you love me, you for me, I know you want to bless me. Lord, I want to experience that. Show me Jesus. I'm yours. I'm your servant. The more we have that posture, the more we experience this incredible love that God has for us. Why don't you stand and let us do like Mary Magdalene. Why don't we just acknowledge Jesus why don't we just worship Him? Why don't we just fix our eyes on who God is and what He's done and let the words of the, the songs just like just meditate in your heart. We're going to worship for a, a set and then I'll come up and we'll finish with some prayer.